Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast, where we talk all things money and business. My name is Christian Allen. I'm here with not one co-host, but two co-hosts. I have, as always, Rodney the Pod Zabriskie. What's up, Rod? Hey, I'm doing great. You? I'm doing well. I'm getting excited for Thanksgiving tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Okay, so we've got Rod the Pod Zabriskie, and we also have... John, I need to come up with a nickname, but we've got John Reeves with us too, the newest member of the Money Insights family. Um, John's a longtime friend of mine. He's an attorney that's been with Goldman Sachs for, gosh, 15 plus years. And uh, he's an executive director working uh, in the compliance world. And, and he even worked in the digital assets group, which I think is important because today we're going to talk cryptocurrency. But before we do that, before we do that, are there, I want to just make sure I hit on a couple of things. So yesterday we had our Facebook live that was yesterday would have been Tuesday. Um, and we talked a little bit about cryptocurrency. So this is kind of going to be a follow-up to that conversation. Um, if you haven't joined the Facebook live group, it is investment strategies for high income earners. We encourage you to check it out. Um, we do the regular Facebook lives. We post content all the time. The idea is to build community, um, bring in people with a lot of experience in investing. We can work together and all kind of um, rise the tide, so to speak. Uh, and of course, uh, we'll make sure that we're putting consistent content out there. So that said, make sure you do that. We also have the high income money hacks on the website. We have, oh, brand new on there is the 10 step formula to financial freedom. So we've got all sorts of things. I'm probably missing a couple of things, but there's some things you can go check out at moneyinsightsgroup.com. Okay. With that said, guys, let's talk cryptocurrency, should we? Let's, let's do, do it. it. Okay. This is not a subject I pretend to be an expert in. I know enough to be dangerous, uh, but luckily John has far more experience than I do. And so we're going to just try to break it down. Um, however, we want to make sure that as always, we remind you that we're not giving personal financial advice and always check with your advisors. If you want to talk more about this offline, then obviously we are more than happy to do that. Okay. So John, I think the place to start is to just at a baseline level, make sure people understand what cryptocurrency is. And maybe, maybe we should take it a, a little bit, a step deeper and not just that like high level, what is it, but let's maybe go a step deeper and figure out, you know, maybe why it exists and where it's headed. Does that sound good? Yeah, okay, sounds... so starting point, talk to us a little bit about just kind of the what you what it is and kind of the way you see it. Yeah, that works. <clears throat> so the way I like to frame crypto, good to be here. Thanks for having me, by the way. And um, I was part of the compliance team and the specific digital assets team, by the way, at Goldman, I was a part of was a compliance working group over digital assets as opposed to there's also a trading team. But I just want to clarify. Okay, I would Thank love you. to be part of that trading team. But um, anyway, my, I'm more of a regulatory type guy at the moment. <laughs> so when I first learned about crypto, I mean, I think like a lot of people, you hear about it buzzing around in the background. I wish that, you know, obviously in 2011, I 
put all my credit cards and all my net worth into crypto, you know? <laughs> so that's the advice. Go into debt as much as possible. <laughs> I don't care what it is. If, it, if you've got to take out uh, more loans on your cars, the house, credit yeah, cards, right. everything, throw it in, right? If we had a okay, time just machine. Kidding. Yeah, if we had time. Christmas. Exactly. <laughs> um, Back to the Future Part 2, right? With... Yep. Anyway, so... What happened to me in my personal story, which may resonate, <clears throat> everyone's got their own story. I, I through a friend who was very heavily involved in crypto, he, he built his own blockchain. He, um, he's very into music and his, his idea was basically connecting um, musicians to the consumer and cutting out the middleman because obviously a lot of artists feel that they're not compensated as they should be. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting. And the idea was, you can use blockchain to do this, okay? So that's something I think kind of to start with, we'll talk about the currency aspect of it, um, but there's also this whole other layer to it that's actually more foundational, which is a network, which allows basically peer-to-peer -peer related either transactions or verification. And basically you don't need that third party, that central party verifying it for everyone. It can We're just trying be- Trying to eliminate banks. That's it. So, exactly. So Bitcoin and, and to your point, you know, 07, then 09, you know, there's this paper and then ultimately a transaction and then eventually available to the public in 2011. And it was framed around this idea of not having a bank. And basically, so I think about it. I, I heard, you know, online, there's a few great, you know, YouTube videos about it. You can go to for the basics. But the idea is that at one point, humanity started to trade and we used to trade goods goods for services and so on. And some smart person said, you know what, we should have a form of currency, even if it's just seashells or it's metal, whatever, let's do coins, you know, um, then you get cash and then it becomes digital. And we were, you know, most of our lives we're living this age where it's digital mostly. Mm -hmm. But the difference here is we're saying it's not just digital anymore, but because you have computers. <clears throat> and again, I use this example, the Facebook live, I like the example of Uber, right? Mm -hmm. At some point, we all saw Uber came along. I'm sure we all had a similar reaction, which is like, do I really need this app? You know, and why are people so excited about it? What does it do? And I think most people understand Uber. Yes, you have a centralized platform. Uber, the company makes that platform available, but you're not actually contracting directly with Uber. You're contracting with the driver and he's, he or she's contracting with you. And the platform is, it allows that peer to peer exchange. And I think most people will understand that Uber is not going away or ride sharing is not, even if Uber goes away, the concept of ride sharing or any number of markets that have now figured out a peer to peer way of transacting will not go away. And in my opinion, that's basically Bitcoin. So there can be all kinds of arguments about the viability of it, how environmentally friendly it is, you know, how much we should regulate and so on. But foundationally it's, it's it, in my mind, an evolution, of humans transacting and meeting and coordinating together, basically. Hmm. Okay, so John, I read a few articles just trying to get prepped a little bit. And I remember, and obviously the big the big news right now, we're gonna talk about FTX here in just a few minutes, but that's that's kind of the big news and and the sentiment from a lot of people, and I'm sure there's two sides to this, but it's that that crypto's dead, right? So you hit on kind of that idea of the viability of crypto 
you talked about the idea that you believe it's here to stay and and i do too to be totally honest um that said why let's talk about why why we think it's here to stay sure well and again i like to use these analogies i think about the time we're in now is probably similar to like the 1990s for the internet right Mm -hmm. so some of the biggest companies and names like aol you know netscape earthlink you know just aren't around you had the whole blast from the past i'm impressed that you could pull those names out (laughs) yeah yeah i like this analogy so it's like it's like here we are today and the question is is it all going to be about bitcoin is it all going to be ethereum and you know some of these other altcoins litecoin and so on the next 10 20 years well maybe not maybe it evolves maybe some of the names change and so on that's not too different than any other kind of industry or sector or scenario that's developing, especially at its infancy, relative infancy. Um, again, just to harken back, I do think Bitcoin's likely to be around. I think that's a little bit different, and we'll talk about why in a bit. So Bitcoin is like the Amazon? Yeah, Bitcoin. Bitcoin's like the Amazon, or I would even go one step further and say Bitcoin's your your www.web protocol. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's really foundational. Um, it's theoretically you could change it, but, and there's problems with it. It's not perfect, but it's pretty pure versus other coins. And anyway, and it's, it's so big at this point. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's at least half, if not more than half of the crypto market. Um, Well, maybe, maybe John, it's a good time to talk about what makes it different and unique from altcoins from other coins, just because, you know, for the average person that may have exposure a little bit of exposure not when i say exposure that doesn't mean they own it but just you know hearing about it and seeing it in the news and those kinds of things most people wouldn't know the difference between those sure well interestingly there are other coins that are similar more similar to bitcoin in fact if you look at sort of what bitcoin's meant to do there's even some coins that do exactly what bitcoin does and and Mm. depending on kind of your view and what you're after might even do a little bit better as far as they just want the first some people want, right, it's the first, and some people, it's the largest. I think the point with Bitcoin now, it's the largest, and it's by far, um, by by levels of magnitude, the most secure, by far. And okay. the way to think about it is it's 10,000 supercomputers, at least. It's maybe grown from there, all around the world, that are communicating together, that are solving essentially a math equation every single time a new Bitcoin is minted, and then communicating every time a transaction occurs and verifying that in fact, they all agree that it occurred. And there's also no way to make adjustments to the protocol unless more than 50%. So you need 51% to agree essentially to make a change. And so mm-hmm. the idea, there, so it makes it very foolproof as far as someone hacking or stealing your Bitcoin or something like that. There's other ways to steal Bitcoin, but as far as getting into the base protocol and doing it, it's not possible essentially it's theoretical but not really possible so the the idea of another protocol coming along and surpassing that level of security is is basically not going to happen so that's bitcoin but then what is is bitcoin mining so bitcoin mining so that's so bitcoin started with a coin right Mm -hmm. and then every coin after that there's basically i don't know how many digits but imagine I don't know if it's 21 digits or something like that, that a computer has to guess a number. That's basically what's happening. Hmm. And once it guesses the number, they get a certain number of coins. Okay. 
And then if it gets guesses another one, they get more. And so people started setting up their computers to solve these equations. And they mm, started interesting. Yeah, mining or minting these coins. Every few years, there's what's called a halving. There's like this halving so that you only get half as many coins. And so there's it kind of trickles down. The idea is, I think in the next decade or so, um, maybe a couple decades, we're going to have no more Bitcoins and it's going to end at 21 million coins. Okay. So that's the mining process. But a lot of these same supercomputers are also, they're mining, but they're also verifying. They're part of that network. Um, they can be two separate things as well. But that's that's how we get the coins into circulation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. So, and maybe you hit on this already. It, is, it, is the main difference between Bitcoin, you said the security, the size, um, what else did I miss? What, what were the, the yeah, other so, kind of main things to hit on when you talk about making it unique and different from these other coins that exist now? Yeah, sure. So I was sort of starting with the idea that there's there's coins that are Bitcoin-like that do that same thing, and in some cases do a little bit better, but they're not going to exist. And, you know, they're not going to either exist or they won't be as large as Bitcoin in the years to come ever. But there there's a different type of coin entirely. And we'll start, we'll talk about Ethereum, right? Yeah. Um, which is actually quite different. And some people would say it's entirely different. Um, it still works off of a blockchain decentralized network. Um, some of these these altcoins, alternative coins, are more centralized than others. But in their purest form, they're trying to do it in a way that it's that all the verifications, just like Bitcoin, are more decentralized. Um, but the thing that's very interesting about Ethereum, there's a couple things. One, it doesn't do that math equation solve to produce new coins okay and they these protocols are set up in different ways as far as how many coins are released at different times and to whom and why and so on um it's probably infinite ways to do that but the the big difference between bitcoin and these altcoins most of them is that they don't again they don't have that equation we call that um proof of work in in bitcoin okay which is what makes it extremely secure these other coins will say they're also very secure, but they just have a different philosophy. What they say is if you own coins, what you can do is you can stake them with the network. And that basically gives you, we'll say, voting rights, for lack of a better phrase at the moment. So if you have a lot of Ethereum, you are able to then you know, put forward how you want the network to be run and so on. And the idea is since you own part of it, essentially, you're less likely to try to sabotage the network. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's what gives it the security. So that's proof of stake, which is much more, you could say much more efficient. Um, doesn't take as many supercomputers and so on to like validate and so on um, just by its nature. But there's an argument about is it as secure or is it not, but it's much, much more efficient. And so a lot of people argue that, well, that's actually the future for cryptocurrency and digital assets is that space. The other thing that's, that's super important to know about Ethereum and other um, certain altcoins is they have what's called the ability to create smart contracts, which is basically you can you can build applications like actual software that connects to the blockchain and allows you to. So, for instance, when I was working with Goldman, um, even the European Central Bank issued a bond and it was actually linked to the Ethereum blockchain. Okay, so rather than a typical, however they would normally do that with a clearinghouse or whatever, it was through 
the validation mm -hmm. of the existence of that bond was through the blockchain itself. Um, that's an example, but there's lots of ways to use an Ethereum blockchain to um, write a smart contract against. Mm, so. Okay. Okay, I want to switch gears for a second. Yeah. Rod, I have a question. So let's move into just for a minute and talk a little bit about cryptocurrency as it relates to like personal finance. So um, obviously we talk with people every day and we give advice. Uh, we talk philosophy about all types of different assets. And of course we focus on alternative assets primarily, but Rod, maybe just talk about philosophically the way that you view cryptocurrency inside of somebody's like overall, you know, net worth inside of their overall financial picture. Yeah. So the way, uh, the way that it often comes up in our conversations, obviously we're, uh, we have often some very focused conversations around our strategies, right? Investment optimizer, capital avalanche, someone who's, who is investing in a lot of hard assets, real mm -hmm. estate, they may have a business, um, that kind of thing and, and alternative investments, right? So crypto obviously fits in the the realm of alternative investments. It's not mainstream. It's not viewed the same as Wall Street. Uh, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Like it, it's like it doesn't fit into like the regular alternative investing that we know, which is, you know, your real estate and business and, you know, like precious metals and again, hard assets. And yeah. then we, we almost have this new and just interesting... Anyway, then over here we have, which which fits more in alternatives, but still unique. Anyway, sorry, it, keep going. Well, it is. And what's interesting is often I'll hear uh, the people who like the alternative investing space don't like paper assets, which mm. would be things like stock, right? Mm -hmm. They don't, they, they may own a portion of the company, but it's not, they don't have any influence over the company. They don't have any say in what happens. They're just kind of along for the ride and hoping everything goes well and they, and they get a uh, an increase in the value of their stock and or get some dividend or something that that becomes more tangible for them. And what's interesting is, is that crypto, while it is digital, so it's not a hard asset in the sense that like I can go to the piece of property and and, you know, walk the the yeah, you know, the walk the lot. <laughs> um, but it's more hard of an asset than a lot of the, what, again, these, these paper assets, because yeah, interesting. it, it is, well, it, there's, there's scarcity to it, right. Which again also exists in the paper side, but um, it's like a hard digital asset, right. I can't put my hands on it, but with all of the, the security and verification and other things that John's been talking about, uh, there's, it, it, it fits for a lot of people, it fits more into that, that harder asset kind of mindset and the way that they approach it. Okay, so if I'm uh, if I'm getting on the phone with you, Rod, and we're talking about my financial future, well-being, what I have yeah. going on today, where I'm headed, um, and I'm doing a variety of different types of investing, right? But I'm mm -hmm. also very excited about I'm excited about cryptocurrency. It's gone from I can't remember the numbers now. What what was what was the high, John? Sixty-seven thousand or something like that. Some, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Now it's now it's down to like 16,000. Okay, so we're going to talk about this idea of buying low, right? Um, I've been reading articles and some of, some of them are like, okay, that makes sense. And some of them are like, don't treat crypto at all like you would treat stocks. And so we're, we're going to get onto that in just a minute. But, but let's just say I am excited about it. I think there's an opportunity there. 
what what kind of recommendation would you if i'm saying okay rod i've got i've got a couple million bucks in my policies and mm -hmm. i don't have as much real estate opportunity today as i'd like i want to get i want to still be deploying cap anyway this is a tough question because i know it's individual but sure. in general what would you recommend people invest uh into cryptocurrency and you know things like that yeah it's a great question and like you said it is individual and i would also say i, I don't feel like i'm qualified to to make recommendations specifically as it relates to an individual asset like crypto. However, just from what I see and, and my own feelings on it, but because of the volatility, et cetera, we may, we may say we think it's here to stay and, and truly believe that. And yet, like you said, there, there's no uh, ignoring the fact that it has had huge swings in value over the last three years. Right. Yep. So, um, so, so you always obviously have to take that into consideration. Uh, and, and so I would say, you know, for the people who I feel like have been the most thoughtful, uh, research driven and um, disciplined of, of investors, um, you know, maybe five to 10% would be a reasonable number, you know, for, for somebody who like that, who, who can get behind it, believes in it, you know, but, so we're probably not recommending it. 50%, 50%, right? You got to be yeah. smart with it. Obviously, it's very volatile. We're going to talk a little bit about this more in a second. Uh, John, let's talk about that, actually. Yeah. This idea or this philosophy of buying low, and, and again, we're not we're going to get into the FTX scandal in a few minutes, but why would I not, And or maybe, maybe the answer is I would, but from your perspective, why would I or would I not view cryptocurrency currently similar to like a major downturn in the stock market. And I'm saying, all right, I want to, I want to hit the ride, the wave that's going to come back up. Sure. Well, I think I agree with Rod around everything he said, especially around volatility. Um, but volatility does go in both directions, right? So mm -hmm. creates opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So people, people, a lot of times they say, oh, the volatility, volatility, I can't invest. I'm like, that's exactly why you should invest in crypto. If, if you're someone who, can kind of stomach the volatility so it's not for yeah. everybody right um yeah. i also i'm going to answer your question i'm going to i'm going to answer this um i agree with rod around um the five percent even when i was you know and i'm still very bullish on um crypto i would never put more than personally five percent of my own and i'm relatively young and so on i know people yeah. who even a hundred percent in but again those are people who know way more than i do and they're in, they work in that industry. They live it. Yeah. They live it. Well, and, yeah. And the people that I've seen it, uh, who have a large percentage of their net worth, a, a lot of it, again, so this would have been a year or two years ago, is because they bought low and rode the wave high. Yeah. So just by nature of that, that multiplier on, on their original investment, it became yeah. 75, 80, 85% of their net worth. And again, it, it, it then goes back to the whole discipline thing if if the idea is to to buy low and sell high then if if that's your approach then you get have to be disciplined when it is at the high and you say okay great i am now going to rebalance so to speak to put mm, you know put, put value somewhere else but yeah again that's why discipline is the word right yeah. um or, and and it's not that you can't change your philosophy as, as you go but 
if that's the idea and that's how you're viewing it as an investment like that, then then you have to be disciplined in that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think in reaction to, to all that and Christian's question around why not buy and write it up, I think just recognize it's fine to take a punt sometimes, right? And then you have to just assess again how much there's a saying in the crypto kind of um, arena, which is don't put in more than you can lose, mm. you know, and, you know, some people are treating it like gambling and that's, that's maybe okay, you know, to go gamble, mm-hmm. but is also recognizing that is what it is. I would again, separate Bitcoin in the sense that, um, you know, who knows, who knows what could happen, but I do think that it's probably more secure than the rest. And some other coins like Ethereum are more secure and, you know, you can probably feel better even if you see those swings that your money's not going to vanish. Um, yeah. Knock on wood. Again, not investment advice, but that would be relatively surprising even as, mm-hmm. as, far as the market has turned recently. So I think, you know, be careful. Don't don't treat any investment like a punt if your plan is to invest and not gamble. You know, all three of us know on this call there's there's great ways to make double digit returns in extremely safe ways. So if you're going to invest in crypto, make sure you find someone who really knows what they're doing, talk to them. And your investment may have nothing to do with buying a coin, right? It may be that you buy, you start mining like Christian mentioned, or you buy in a mining company or you buy an ETF that's linked to certain crypto. Um, There's any number of ways to make money through crypto. And by the way, even if you're going to trade it, there are very low risk ways, surprisingly, um, through risk, like through arbitrage and so on. Um, again, mm-hmm. if you can find the right funds and the right people who know how to do it. Um, but if, you, if you're kind of just taking a punt, you know, don't put in very much money unless you're a day trader and you know how to read the charts and so on. Okay, good advice. Um, NFTs, John, they kind of get lumped in a little bit with crypto because they're digital assets, but Maybe just talk about kind of the, the obviously NFTs aren't necessarily a currency, but just kind of compare and contrast them a little bit for us. Yeah, sure. It's a good question. NFTs, NFTs are tricky. I don't I haven't ever kind of been personally very into the idea of NFTs or understood it really. The most I've understood it as far as I understand what it is, but as far as like sure. the should, should we define it just to make sure everyone yeah, yeah. The same page? Um, non-fungible tokens. Good point, Rod. Um, yeah. And it's and basically pretty- it's a digital asset that you can purchase, right? Like a lot of times it's like artwork or, you know, yeah. I, I'm sure it sounds like there's a, you know, million different ways that it can come about. But uh, yeah. my daughter always gives me my, my daughter shows me like NFT pictures from time to time. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So Christian, yeah. So so to quickly draw the distinction, you can buy like an NFT that's linked to like your favorite soccer team and like buy merchandise. Mm-hmm. They're non-fungible tokens. So there's that type, but there's also like most people are thinking to your point, the artwork, right? Yeah. Is it yeah. is it similar in that there's so Bitcoin has limited amount, right? You've talked about it's gonna have 21 million. Um and again, I don't know this world, but I guess in my head I'm thinking, is it similar in the sense that there's now, in this case, it would be just one art piece of artwork that is that one, right? Like, it, there's only one of them. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it's like a print. That, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which well, one? we probably don't need to spend a ton of time on NFTs. I just wanted to kind of, you know, get a feel for it. Yeah. Um, 
John, talk a little bit about stablecoin. Okay, sure. So stablecoins, um, you know, there's the USD coin. There's also Tether. There's a few others in the US. Um, there's one here in, in the UK that's linked to um, the British pound and so on. So, but basically what it is, is um, the idea is you peg it to something else and it, it needs to be backed one for one. So if you buy Tether, the idea is that they are also simultaneously buying a US dollar to back your purchase. And there's no way, it, it, it moves your dollars onto the crypto network. So then you can buy Bitcoin, you can buy other things with it um, more readily, but, um, you're backed by that dollar, so you're pegged. So that's your stable coin. But there's a lot of discussion that's really interesting around it, which is um, there's a huge amount of money in stable coins. Um, I can't remember the quote, but like it's something like if you combine all the money in all the regional banks in the U.S., um, there's more money in in stable coins in the U.S. than there is even in all those regional deposits. Oh. At least during the height of the crypto market, it's a ton of money. And so the idea is like, is that going to ultimately replace the U.S. dollar? itself it'll just become it's dollar backed but it's really everyone's just using the stable coin and yeah. that's more or less actually it becomes very interesting philosophically that's the discussion that governments are having that is the future of our own currencies essentially you know a digital dollar or a digital yuan and we seem to be going that direction even policymakers mm -hmm. are laying the yeah, foundation that is really interesting and because instead of oh go ahead and finish your thought I was going to say, otherwise they're competing with the stable coins. So yeah. one way or the other, that's the way it's going to be. So with stable coins, I've heard of people investing or, or putting money in stable coins that create some sort of uh, cash flow coming back off of it. Is that basically the equivalent of a, a bank making loans or like how, how is it that it's creating that type of cash flow coming uh, like a consistent and predictable number? Like they're told, hey, you, you can earn 8%, 10%. Uh, cash right. or, or I shouldn't say cash, but uh, cash yeah. flow type of return off of it. Yeah, I'm not an expert on that, but I think the I think what you're describing is likely a crypto bank that is investing money for you. And so they're basically saying, we'll take your dollars. It's no there's no real risk because we're going to peg it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and what we're going to do is we're, we can then therefore invest it elsewhere and give you a return on that. I'm gotcha. guessing. OK. I don't know because okay. sure. it because it becomes uh, an exchange of sorts, right? So instead mm -hmm. of a, a central bank, so to speak, again, they're, they're using the backing of a central bank because they're using a, the dollar or whatever, but but they kind of fill that role now. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yep. And and actually, you raise that raises a very interesting point around like as decentralized as the cryptocurrency space is trying to be, and in some senses is, there are these touch points with a centralized, you know, point of mm -hmm. contact that can, can be great for regulation and transparency in some cases, but then can also blow things up in the case of FTX, for instance. Mm. Good transition, John. I want to I want to talk about FTX. So we hit on this a little bit in our Facebook Live yesterday, but um, it's interesting to kind of hear about. Like, obviously, the news is with this FTX scandal. Let's call it an FTX scandal. Um, people are saying like, is it the end of cryptocurrency, right? And and again, like I, that's kind of laughable because we were talking about this yesterday, how um, there's, if well, I, I was reading an article and, and in this article, they were capturing all the different articles that people 
in which people had suggested the cryptocurrency was dead. And it was like something like, you know, 500, 600 times, right? So this has been like an ongoing theme for probably since it began. Um, but the FTX scandal is interesting. Let's get in specifically to that. We're now in your ballpark, John, and the regulation world, but we're going to try to make it a little more fun and interesting. So take us through the FTX scandal, what happened, and maybe help us understand what it means or uh, what like the potential impact of that looks like inside the cryptocurrency world. Yeah, let's do it. And at some point, we can bring up my slides. We can bring them up. You should bring them up now. I think we should introduce the the uh, owner of FTX and I forget the other company that you said he owned. What's the other name? Um, there's FTX and there's Alameda. Alameda, that's the one I forgot. Okay, so that, but that's the, that those two companies are kind of, and the owners are kind of at the center of this FTX scandal specifically, right? That's correct, yeah. Okay, break and- it down. Okay, here comes the share screen here. Let's see, do we need to let you in? Oh, here, I think I need to add it. There you go. We get there? Yep. Okay, so. Good looking on the bunch. Left. Yeah, you've got, you've got Sam Bankman Freed. Okay. He's gonna be, he's like the next Madoff. He's currently Madoff. Everyone's gonna know him as, as that. Because there's Caroline the owner. He's the yeah. CEO. I mean, multiple owners, but he's the CEO of FTX and Correct. co-founder, Alameda. majority owner of both. Okay. Alameda and FTX, and the CEO, and apparently insane, which we'll talk about. Okay. Um, well, they're going to make that. They're going to make that claim in court, probably. Okay. Um, okay. He's he's acting fairly erratic. Caroline Ellison, um, she's the head of Alameda. Okay. She is apparently in a romantic relationship with Sam. So that's okay. a bit awkward. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about all kinds of conflicts that are there anyway. Gary Wang, bottom left, one of the other co-founders of both entities. He's the CTO of FTX or the former CTO. And then Nishad Singh, uh, one of the co-founders as well. So this um, is a group know. of people you don't want to be bunched in with right now. Yeah, so these people say. are. Yeah, I've these been people very are wealthy, but. Yeah, let's Sorry. talk about the wealth. So, no, no, you're good. So they they had enough wealth that they were doing things like, what do you call? It? You know this better than me, Christian. The NBA, you're naming the stadium. Yeah, your after. arena. I'm trying to remember. It was, okay, so is it the naming what's right. the name of this arena? That's the FTX Arena in Miami. Okay. Okay. Yep. That's a big deal, right? You don't sponsor you don't sponsor NBA arenas. There's only thirty of them, unless unless you have a lot of money. Right, exactly. Um, they've got a Formula One sponsorship. They've got uh-huh. people: Tom Brady, his wife, um, Giselle, right? Uh-huh. Who were going around with Shaq and so on, telling people to use FTX. Oh wow, that is so yeah. interesting. Yeah. So actually, people are suing. Consumers are suing these guys now, among other people, yeah. Katy Perry and so on. Oh um, wow, that's interesting. Because they're so, saying you lured into this, yeah. Oh wow, so they must have had some sort of like interest in FTX. 
Yeah, I mean, they were probably just paid to sponsor it, you know, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, guess. I mean, Shaq's worth like 500 million bucks. He probably invested a little bit, but yeah, so I, that makes sense. That makes sense. Right. So. Okay, so what happened, John? Like, we, we know that it's blown up. We know that there's people who are saying this blow up could end the cryptocurrency uh, world altogether. But like, what happened? And then why or why not is it going to have like a major impact moving forward okay should we should i talk about that as we went through the pictures or yeah sure that's great that's great yeah so so what is it like so these guys they have math backgrounds basically um sam and caroline and they're related to people with those backgrounds and they they wanted to start a trading firm um, I don't know when Carolyn came around, but he wanted to, he apparently wanted to do either sports betting or crypto, which is kind of oh, bad kind of <laughs> begin with a little bit. And um, anyway, they, they started, at, I believe in Hong Kong, but they, they are now based or they were based out of the Bahamas. Um, and I guess it's still there. And this is their penthouse, by the way, Sam's, he lived with 10 roommates there. That's pretty nice. Pretty nice. Apparently he would be, he'd play video games as he was raising money, um, which is <laughs> interesting. Um, very quickly, and then we'll get to the specifics. These are some tweets from Caroline. Uh, Nothing like regular amphetamine use to make you appreciate how dumb a lot of normal non-medicated human experiences. <laughs> um, that's, that's great. I love it. The thing is, this morning I was lying on the couch reading a book, then I decided to go for a hike. But it took me like a half an hour from that point to muster the energy and motivation. Actually, anyway, these people are like children, basically. <laughs> smart so children. children. They're smart in certain ways. She was born yeah. in '94, so I don't know how old that makes her now. Um, you guys know your math better yeah. than I do. Nine years, thirty years old. So they're 30. they are young, right? Like they had they've had a, a ton of success and you know a, again money. Um, Unfortunately, it's coming to a screeching halt. Yeah, that's right. So last couple points, you've got you've got Sam with his Twitter account. He's tweeting all kinds of people should go look at it, actually, and read about it because um, or read what he's been tweeting the last few days. Um, he finally stopped, but he's he's shooting his mouth off every time. He's trying to halfway apologize, halfway explain what's happening, I guess, mm -hmm. trying to not seem culpable, but He'll say strange things like, oh, my number one priority is getting consumers, your, my customers' funds back. And it's kind of like, well, why aren't they there to begin with? You know, what's going mm -hmm. on? But he doesn't explain it. So. Okay. And that's really the issue, right? Like the the issue is, well, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of it. I'm, I want no, to let you get there. No, you're good. Um, I'm, I'm teasing this out probably okay. a little too long, but you've got John J. Ray, who oversaw among other things, the um, bankruptcy of Enron. Mm -hmm. um, Larry Summers compared this more to Enron than, than other things. And he, he says, never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information in reference to FTX. So basically, the Sam Bankman Freed um, is, is running this, here he is, running this whole thing um, as a fiefdom, is what people are saying. So there's a question of whether they even had a board. It's it's not clear. Um, and his decision-making, basically what, what seems to have happened, to get to your points, Christian, is there's been a lot of pressure on the crypto markets as of the last 
you know, six plus months or even a year, right? And what people think happened is maybe in the springtime at some point, um, Alameda had a lot of losses, okay? 90% of Alameda, at least at the end of last year, was owned by Sam Bankman-Fried, okay? So imagine that's that's a large portion of his net worth. He was worth around 16 billion, I think, at his height. Mm, so okay. it seems what's happened, and this is through an anonymous source to the Wall Street Journal, is that they took customers' funds that were in the exchange, which are owned by the customer, or should be, um, and they took those funds and he lent that out to his girlfriend at Alameda so that they could bail themselves out of some bad trades, basically. So they thought they could do it. It seems we don't know and everyone has their day in court, but it seems what's happened is they thought the market might reverse and they would no one would notice the difference. Um, and who knows how long they've been doing this type of scheming. But basically, the market didn't reverse. There's a lot of detail as to what happened and how it got really out of control for them. So, so it sounds like basically the market is what shed light on what was happening in the background. Like, as to the extent that things were you know, good, like no one was spending the time, effort, or interest to go look into FTX. John, talk a little bit about what FTX is, because I don't think we've gotten into. Yeah. <laughs> what is FTX, the company, and how do they relate directly to cryptocurrency? Yes, thank you. So FTX is an exchange, okay? So it's a centralized, even though most of crypto, the goal is to be decentralized, People, customers have to get their money into crypto. You can purchase Bitcoin um, directly through the protocol and get private keys, public keys, and um, you can own it. I think um, Rod has pointed out a concern, or maybe it was you, Christian, around like there's still this risk that you might, even if you own it, you might you might lose track of it and you don't have your keys anymore. You know, mm -hmm. so some people say, well, actually, the better way to do it is through an exchange, as long as it's regulated, and um, you know, your money should be safe there, even though there's still more of a risk that you might get hacked and stuff. It's no different than a bank. So that's an exchange. Yeah. Okay, that's helpful. I'm I'm just my wheels are turning here, and I'm thinking to myself like. How did they get to the point? How did things get to the point where they could even access people's money? Like that in and of itself seems really bizarre to me, right? Like just because you're on an exchange, normally you wouldn't think that that would in and of itself give somebody access to the underlying dollars. Like the I know yeah. they're not dollars, but the underlying value. How did that? Right. How did that happen? Yeah. So that all of your positions, if you were trading on FTX. I don't know exactly how they were custodying those positions, mm -hmm. but they somehow had access to that. Hmm. So yeah. um, when they were funding, and this is all going to come out, you know, when they were funding Alameda, you know, I don't know exactly if those were actual like crypto coins that they lent out um, or if they used them. It sounds like they might have used them as collateral, maybe in some cases. Um, so I don't think we know yet exactly how they did it or what exactly how they funded Alameda. I may be wrong, but I haven't read that. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, yeah. John, that doesn't give, it's probably not going to give a lot of people confidence to go into the crypto market after one of the largest exchanges. I think you said yesterday in our Facebook Live that it was maybe the third largest behind uh, Binance and Coinbase, I think. That's um, right. And so then you have FTX. Maybe the question is, 
should somebody and, and again i know this is speculation on your part like so we're just we're just doing the best we can here but should somebody feel comfortable or confident using an exchange at all right like it, if if the yeah. question is lose it on my own or have somebody take it i guess i'd rather i'd rather lose it on my own at least yeah. at least i can live with that yeah. you know what i mean yeah no it's it's exactly the right question it's exactly what people are thinking in the context of ftx um luckily coinbase and kraken um the number now the number two and three exchange mm -hmm. by size um, are us based and they are us companies coinbase is publicly traded okay so they get audited they're highly regulated yeah they are regulated as a financial institution just like um you know any other financial institution in the united states um the difference being that the products themselves, the the regulations of it, you know, in flux right now and not established in most cases. Um, and Coinbase is very pro, you know, defining that so that there's more clarity. Because one of the problems, one of the reasons FTX got as large as it did was because, um, well, according to Brian Armstrong, who's the CEO of of Coinbase, he feels that um, there's some incentive for people to go offshore. Um, it's easier to set up an account. It's easier to do certain types of trades and get margin and leverage and so on, um, because maybe the U.S. regulators have been a little slow to kind of define what's what's allowed and what's not, and then force other global participants to fall in line as well. So, anyway, um, Coinbase and, and Kraken, you should be, you know, we would hope at least as safe as other financial institutions. Uh, Brian Armstrong is a very interesting and sharp guy. You know, I'd encourage people to go listen to who he is and he's on a number of podcasts and so on. Um, so FTX, I think, I think the issue there has more to do. I mean, there are elements of, of the crypto regulation that did allow, you know, potentially certain things to take place, even in the Bahamas that might not have normally have taken place, you know? Um, but my feeling is I kind of blame crypto less, or what happened and it's more again the things they were doing actually push up against what crypto stands for and what crypto purists would expect and it's actually it's that's that centralization of putting money in the hands of individuals who make bad decisions is the risk putting your money on a on a blockchain that can be validated and is transparent if you own the keys um, no one can touch that I guess the good news about the this FTX thing is that it will certainly create more scrutiny and more regulation moving forward, right? So, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where obviously it's horrible for the people who are um, involved and who potentially lost money. Um, but as an industry, usually, right, when we have these kind of catastrophic events, you know, we can kind of figure it out and make things better going forward. But let's talk for just a minute about this idea. Like we've talked a little bit about crypto, you know, still staying around, but maybe maybe we'll talk a little bit about why, right? So why you believe that crypto's here to stay and maybe just, you know, kind of speculate on what you think will happen in the future. And again, we know it's not financial advice, but yeah. we just I'm just curious kind of where you think things are heading. Okay, cool. Yeah, where my mind goes when I think of the future of crypto and whether people should invest and and so on, I think, again, I go to that 90s um, analogy we used. It's going to look a lot different in 10, 20 years, but the, 
the principles, the foundational concepts will still be there. So crypto is certainly rife. Don't don't assume if you're listening that um, you think that people who are into crypto and crypto enthusiasts, that they just they love every crypto coin that's out there. If you know what is happening in the crypto space, you understand it. The majority of coins you have zero interest in. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think most people really understand the space are really focused on kind of the top 20 or so market cap coins and maybe a few new ones with really good developers behind them. Um, and there's there's so much gambling and so many people taking a punt on stuff that's really risky. I mean, I limited the top 20. There can be some other interesting projects that go well beyond that, but you really have to know um, who, you're, yeah. who you're connecting with. So, so I kind of, I lead with that to suggest like, when we talk about crypto being around, I think, I think like any market, it's just like any business, right? It's insurance agencies, you know, they get set up all the time and they fail. There's dishonest people everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. The same is true in any, you know, with real estate or whatever else. And certainly that's true in crypto. But if you're interested in the space, don't let that taint, just because it's new and you don't, you may not understand it fully. Don't let that um, ruin your perspective on the whole thing, because the reality is you might actually miss you will miss an opportunity, right? Whether it's just to learn something or be interested in something. So a lot of times what I say to people, if you have an interest in it, you again, go to YouTube or go to podcasts and listen. Um, there's one called the All In Podcast. It's not necessarily just crypto related, but they talk about it. Brian Armstrong, again, went on a few uh, weeks ago to talk about FTX. There's another one called Bankless that's super interesting. Mm. Um, go listen to these people who know, you know volumes more than I do and have been really embedded in the space. Um, and you'll see, I think really quickly, like this isn't going anywhere. Um, yeah. These people, these are some of the smartest people there are, you know, on Silicon Valley and so on. But I think as far as the future and investment and, and where things might go, here's the idea with Bitcoin. So Bitcoin's a really good example. So Bitcoin, Bitcoin was driven by retail from its inception through 2011 up till you know, just a few years ago, basically right before, you know, the COVID situation, it started to kind of climb, right? Um, I guess maybe a little before that. So end of 2019, you see this huge spike, right? The reason for that was because we talked about in Facebook Live, Michael Saylor, who owns a publicly traded company, among other people, started saying, now's the time for corporates to invest in Bitcoin. It's just gone from retail you know, there's a number of exciting things happening. Um, Grace, Grayscale Investment Trust was setting up ETFs. A lot of news was coming out around Fidelity, building infrastructure around the ability to allow um, various avenues into crypto and so on. So a lot of like big names on the corporate and investing side were starting to, to really become public about their plans. That took Bitcoin, I can't remember to the number, but like up to, you know, 40, 50,000 maybe. Um, mm -hmm. And the idea there was that that corporates were viewing it as something secure enough to put their own treasury assets into it. You know, if you own, if you're if you're um, helping trade a corporate treasury, you're only investing in the most secure things that there could be. Um, then you had yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, and you've got Elon Musk saying that you can buy a Tesla with crypto, and he he put I think a billion or so dollars of his treasury into it. That's when the price just went wild, right? Yeah. The reason it went to sixty nine thousand was because sovereigns started saying that they were going to put their central banking assets into it. Okay. And, you know, there's smaller sovereigns, um, El Salvador, 
Um, some people call El, El Holdador now on behalf of Bitcoin. Um, Panama is another one looking at it closely. But the idea there in Central and South America is that their currencies are so volatile anyway that actually Bitcoin is a really good, stable alternative by comparison. Sort of counterintuitive for us, you know, most of us in the West here. Um, but also they have in those countries so many immigrants to America and other parts of the world that are working and sending money back home that Bitcoin became a very practical way for them to do that without using like a Western Union, for instance, and paying exorbitant fees. They could just own a Bitcoin account on, on Binance or whatever and buy Bitcoin with their with their wages and then their their family can withdraw. It. Um, so a lot of people are realizing that for the third world, Bitcoin is an incredible solution. Um, so anyway, when the sovereigns started to get involved, that's what pushed the price way up. So in my mind, as far as um, thinking about the future, none of that's changed, right? As far as, you know, the likelihood of that happening in the next five, 10 years, especially, it's very likely that corporates eventually, when the economy changes, um, interest rates start to come down, people start taking risks again, that that will be a percentage of their treasury and other sovereigns will start to adopt it. And so you can imagine, we've already seen that's where the price will go with Bitcoin specifically. It's very likely that you'll see that again, um, is my mm -hmm. take. But in the next, you know, who knows what happens, you know, if there's more with Russia or there's, you know, heaven forbid where that could go, right? Um, that could really put a lot of pressure on the price still. Um, so but, it hasn't necessarily hit rock bottom. No. Uh, but but I think like, and this is just kind of the common sense side of me coming out. Like, I think if you're if you're willing to hold for five years, then it's going to be hard to lose. Again, I'm I'm not saying what to do, but I'm just my personal opinion is that getting into something like Bitcoin that has the established kind of track record. Like it's hard for me to believe that five years from now, 10 years from now, it's not going to have, you know, exploded and drastically increased in value. Just, just based on what we've seen in the past. And, and again, progress, like in general, like it represents for me, like from a philosophical standpoint, it kind of just represents world progress. And generally we tend to move toward progress, right. Toward uh, making things more efficient. Uh, before we before we go, John, I want to talk about two quick questions that I forgot to hit on. One, um, just talked about talk quickly about the practicality of using Bitcoin, like on a transactional type basis. I know that there are people who like you know instead of taking regular payments, they'll take Bitcoin as payment for things. Um, and then really quickly talk about you hit on this, and I don't know if it's the the most the most interesting part to finish with, but I want to make sure we touch on it. Will you just talk a little bit about this idea of the environmental impact? Because the other thing that I see is maybe a concern for Bitcoin would be that, right? Is there, is there, but, but the, when I look at that, I still say what's more likely to happen isn't the Bitcoin goes away. It's more likely that it becomes more efficient, more energy efficient and more environmentally friendly. Okay. That said, um, before we kind of finish up, tell me your thoughts on those two things. Okay. Um, maybe I'll start in reverse the environmental one. Yeah. Um, cause it, it happens to segue well with, with the idea of sovereigns investing. Okay. Yeah. If you believe that digital finance could be the future, 
the idea it's, it's less likely that sovereigns are going to take a huge position in Ethereum, as an example. Because even though Ethereum's amazing and can do, it's more, um, it's more multifaceted than Bitcoin. You can do more with it. Um, it's essentially, you can kind of think of it a little bit more like a tech company. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more centralized. And anyway, you could imagine a scenario where like the software breaks or something. I mean, it's not quite, it, it's closer it's to Bitcoin. Simple, but, yeah, but Bitcoin, on the other hand, again, we're talking 10,000 supercomputers solving this math equation. Yes, it takes a ton of energy, but it is, it is literally the most secure network in any form that humans have ever built. There's people who are crypto enthusiasts, or you could say Bitcoin maximalists, believe that it's literally the most secure thing humanity has ever seen. Um, more wow. secure than even precious metals on Earth, because you could imagine being hit by a meteor and those disappearing. But as long as you've got the ledger, right, you know who owns what, and and so Bitcoin can't go away. Um, you can't That's imagine. Super interesting. Yeah. So you can imagine that sovereigns and even the U.S. you know central banks would eventually take um, a position in Bitcoin if they haven't already, or if that goes public, right? Yeah. But therefore, um, therefore, yeah, it's going to be around for a long time. And okay. and you, so that environmental aspect is as annoying as it is, and we never like to cause harm to the environment. Um, Michael Saylor makes a really good point about it, which is like most things that are pretty important to us, if you think about it, it's they're not great for the environment. And so it's less a question of whether it, it should or shouldn't be impacting the environment. It's more a question of do people understand the value of it such mm-hmm. that that's no longer kind of front and center to the discussion. Mm, the, val- the value justifies the energy use, basically. Yeah, like Christian, you could say Christian's hat, you know, and all the hats around the world and the clothes that we're wearing. I don't know what the impact to the environment is, but I'm guessing it's more than Bitcoin. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, uh, that is an interesting way. To, that, that's a helpful way from yeah. my perspective to think about no it. No one talks about I mean, obviously, we want to make things more efficient everywhere to Christian's point. For sure. But yeah. Okay, so finish off with practicality. Practicality in terms of just like moving. How easy is it for to transactionally use Bitcoin? Yeah. Or hard? Yeah, so I think the, the big issue with it is like you've got your your currency in US dollar or whatever, and then you need to move it into a stable coin, and then you need to buy Bitcoin. And then if you want to get back out, you've got to do the reverse. And there's some fees. So it sounds along. a little bit like complex to get there little bit clunky and so even even they're trying to like make it more efficient where you can have like a visa card and like you can buy things with bitcoin but like what's really happening is it's converting your bitcoin to stable coin to us dollar and back Mm, um, that'll eventually become more efficient um there's a lot of question around like if you're using bitcoin directly can it even handle that many transactions and how do we make that faster so that it's more um it's just more possible to do it that way um, but yeah, theoretically, you know, the, the converse argument there is like, again, Michael Saylor talks a lot about this. And so I encourage people to listen to it, but he predicts that in the future, there won't be as many currencies around the world. Um, that basically, again, looking at Central and South America, a lot of them will adopt Bitcoin or, and, or the other major currencies. And you'll have an app basically. I don't know if you guys know Revolut as an example, it's, it's big in Europe. Um, where you, you open up your app and you've got your list of assets, whatever they are. And it might be a US dollar, it might be Great British Pound, it might be whatever. Um, but then you've got your Bitcoin. 
right? And you've got your other digital assets. And so that it'll all just become, and you've got your NFTs, by the way. So it all just becomes a little more blended and people can transact over their phone and it just becomes second nature to people over time. And the whole world is more connected and there's more communication. Okay, I just thought of another, another question and then I promise we're gonna close up. My final question is, um, what's the idea behind having limited number? And in my head, I think of it like money. I'm like, okay, like if I have 21 million, like is there enough to go? Obviously the value changes in it. So it's differently different and you can, you know, you can piece it out, but yeah. do you know kind of what the philosophy around having a set number is? Yeah, it's a great question. And there's, there's people with different opinions about the value of that, but the downside is people start to hoard it. In okay. fact, this is actually really helpful. Um, let me show you the last slide. Okay. This is helpful to me. Um, one sec. Okay. I will let it in as soon as you get it up. Here we go. Okay. What's up? Okay. Oops. So I'm going to go to the end. So I'm going to answer your question. This is called the UTXO age distribution chart. Um, okay. It's a little complicated, but what's basically happening, you can see at the bottom left around, I don't know what year that is, 2014 maybe, mm -hmm. up through to recently, today, I guess. Yeah. What's happening here, look at these bands. These, it's like this rainbow colored band. What this is showing, the darker colors um, are people who've owned Bitcoin for more than 10 years. Okay. Mm. They've never They've never sold it. So some some guy or gal in 2019 was like the first person to have owned it for 10 years. You see? Yeah, that so, is really interesting. And it's getting, like you're saying, it's that's increasing as time goes on. So there's more people grabbing it. And you can understand why you would hoard it if you think it's going to go up like crazy. Like it yeah. kind of makes sense. Yeah. So this is, to me, this is one of the most useful charts. Again, you can look it up. Um, the UTXO age distribution chart, because you're always going to have these warm colors at the bottom because there's people jumping in and out and there's people cashing in, cashing out, whatever. But by and large, you're getting those cooler numbers as time goes on, which which says a lot about the value to, of crypto to the people who really understand it. OK, and the value of Bitcoin. And actually, even though you're seeing the price come way down right now, um, I don't know how much everyone listening might know. I, I'm not an expert on day trading again, but it's the price isn't dictated necessarily. If you were to do a polling of every single person that owns Bitcoin, mm -hmm. that would get you closer to the true value of what Bitcoin is today, right? The fact that it happens to be trading at a certain number, those are just the people willing to buy and sell as of today, right? Mm, yeah. Which are these people down here, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of panic and a lot of FOMO that happens down here. And so the public only sees that price. They don't mm -hmm. actually know what's going on here, right? So you, you talk about the 21 million coins. When those run out, as we get close to that and more, more people go into this sort of cooling down period, um, the, the, the price is gonna go crazy is the theory. And um, so people think of it as a digital gold is the short answer to that. Um, and there's pluses or minuses to that. Some people say, well, that's not good if you ever plan on having it um, be a currency, right? And how do I stop presenting? Did I stop? Yeah, you're good. Yep, you stopped. Um, 
Yeah, some people might say people are hoarding it, so then it's never going to be a practical currency. But other people say, you know, that's the reason central banks are going to buy it. And maybe Bitcoin will never be the global currency, but it will be the means of monetary exchange between central banks. And it's actually, it'll be some other type of crypto that's layered on top of Bitcoin that's faster to transact in that will become the the one that we start trading in. Um, and the other practical thing, and just to harken back, is the remittance payments. Again, of people working, living in the U.S., sending money back to El Salvador or Panama, for instance, um, their ability to do that. It's a very practical thing for them. Oh, so that we're always seeing that practicality. And I don't think it'll be long before you've got companies like Tesla, again, saying you can buy it. We're now yeah. we can start buying Teslas again with Bitcoin. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, John. Well, this has been a fun conversation on crypto. Um, thanks for hanging out with us, man. We yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's been fun. Thanks. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Money Insights Podcast, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.